and welcome to this week's episode of Please Don't Make Me Watch. On this week, you can expect Tokers, Woodwind Shot Games, Twyla, Twyla, <laughs> and women going literally insane because of men. Classic. Literally. Literally. Yeah, so up to anything <laughs> cultural this week or more trash? Ah, oh, so rude. Um, <laughs> what have I done? Oh, Fleabag is oh, amazing. Oh, Fleabag is so good. Andrew Scott couldn't just do anything he wants to mm. me or indeed anyone else on the planet. <laughs> um, Fleabag was amazing. I'm watching MasterChef as well, which is just fun and very easy to watch. Yeah. But I mean, we're main cultural. <laughs> oh, I watched a James Acaster first episode of that series on Netflix, which I really enjoyed. Ah, uh, yes. What about you? Um, I've... Well, actually, I think an interesting progression from two episodes ago, I have just finished series one of The Line of Duty. Yay! And I've really enjoyed it. Um, Yay! I'm halfway through series two at the moment. Happy days. Um, I've also, show changes lives, people. It's, it's very, very good. It has, <laughs> it has my endorsement. Yeah. Um, I've also started watching Pose. Yes, me too. On me BBC, too. and I'm really enjoying it, because I think Paris is Burning is a very important documentary, and this is sort of very much in a similar scene to Paris is Burning. Um, but obviously fictionalised, and I think it's a very interesting show in that... They cram every single catchphrase into the first, like, ten minutes, yeah. I would say. But I think, I think the, M the MC, played by Billy Porter, is such a good character. Yeah, 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 but he literally, like, as in, within the first five minutes, it's like, turns across the, the board, board. the category is, business realness, and you're like, okay, yeah. so it's literally all of Paris is Burning in one five-minute segment. I mean, when I did hear Opulence, having, also watching season 11 of Drag Race, having Mercedes Iman Diamond... Opulence! You, you earn everything. everything! That has also since been turned into a dance remix, which of course it has been. That's amazing. And it's it's great. It's also hot trash, but I'm also enjoying this series of Drag Race, I think. The meme of the season, though, that already... Oh, fully the meme of the season. Yeah. What's her name? Soju tried to get in on it with sisters, with like the cyst, but she, no. was, she was overtaken. Opulence! Opulence! You, you earn everything! everything. Yeah, it's it's great. Gold. I think we should get on with the episode though. I think we should. So we're gonna go with my TV first, nice. and we're gonna go with a show that I think if you are a Game of Thrones fan, you'll really like this show because this show had to die so Game of Thrones could live. But it's in a very much similar vein. So Alice, I want to know what were your thoughts about Rome? So Rome is a British-American-Italian historical drama from 2005. It was made for HBO and the BBC, uh, created by John Mirlis, William J. MacDonald and Bruno Heller. It's set essentially around the political upheaval surrounding the ascension of Julius Caesar, his eventual assassination and the arise of Octavian slash Augustus in oh, series two. Spoilers. It's, I, I don't think really you can call that spoilers. <laughs> well, if you've seen the Shakespeare play, or Horrible Histories, or have a basic knowledge of ancient Rome. Yeah. Yeah. True. But it also covers a lot of kind of the more normal side of living in Rome. So there are two characters that are ordinary citizens. You get to see sort of Rome not from the perspective of the elite, which I think is quite interesting about this show. The reason there's only two series of the show is because they um, ran out of money because they wanted to make Game of Thrones. Really? Yeah, so that's why I said that this show had to die so Game of Thrones could live. Oh, I see. Because it was series two was meant to be two different series, oh. and sadly it wasn't. But you obviously watched the first episode of series one. I did. And I wanted to know your thoughts, being a Shakespeare fan, obviously. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That made it more interesting, obviously, because I have like prior knowledge. I've seen that play like four times probably now. Mm-hmm. So having that awareness of it was interesting. Um, I did quite enjoy this. Yeah, it was interesting to see like it's always interesting to see the same characters that you know from like various different places mm. portrayed in a different way, and they do that quite well. So Brutus, it's nice seeing Brutus before he becomes an like old senator. Yeah. Um, when his him and Julius Caesar are just like friends rather than like political enemies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. I thought the acting was good. It was a good show. I'm not like inspired no. necessarily to watch more, but I did enjoy it. And I liked the character of Octavius, who was like this kid who you thought was just a bit of a mopey teenager and then is suddenly like very politically yeah. by the end. And that was a nice. And obviously he becomes Caesar Augustus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's interesting you touched upon the acting because the acting is top notch. They've got people like Caesar's played by Kieran Hines. Yeah. Um, Tobias Menzies is um, Brutus. Brutus. Polly Walker's playing Atia. Yeah. Um, oh, Lindsay Duncan. As Lindsay well. Duncan's playing Sevilla. Yeah. It's it's some real top top notch character character acting. Yeah, yeah, it is. I thought it was all very good actually. Mm. It was better than I expected it to be. It was much better than Vikings, which is why I hadn't. Oh, I admit that it's better than Vikings. Vikings is trashy. This. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't feel like there were loads of gratuitous fight scenes for no reason. No. Which was nice. Like, there are a couple, but not really very many. It's mostly about mm. the politics and, like, the talking. Because it does, it does, the first episode does open with a battle. But it is yeah. Caesar finally defeating the Gauls. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, it is the sort of the start of the political act. Because yeah. he goes back to Rome, obviously, with his army. Mm. I think it's really interesting that you have the characters of Lucius Rinus and Titus Pullo, uh, played both by Kevin McKidd and by Ray Stevenson, who are ordinary soldiers. They're briefly mentioned on a, an actual document, but obviously they're completely fictional portrayals. Right. So, and they, you get an interesting side yeah, to Yeah, actually I forgot who they were, but they were like my favourite bit of the show, really. <laughs> As in, I forgot who they were because they're not famous. No. Characters, so obviously it's easy to remember Julius Caesar, but their bits were like, potentially the most recognisable bits, because mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a buddy cop thing. Yeah. It def- definitely is, is, a, is an ancient Roman buddy cop movie. Yeah. And I think it does have a bit of a bit of the sort of grandeur that a show like Game of Thrones has. Like it does have massive so production design. I haven't watched Game of Thrones, so I yeah. can't comment on that. But yes. But massive production design, massive casts. Yeah. A big... Lots of research. Lots of research, yeah. It seems has gone into it, although I'm not a historian. Neither am I. But, I mean... You obviously coming at this, you knew the history, you know the Shakespeare play. Yeah. Do you feel like that helped you appreciate it more? I think you probably get more out of it because, mm-hmm. like, Brutus, I feel like, is playing against what you expect him to be like because of the Shakespeare play in a way. Like, I felt like Tobias Menzies, because he's like a classical actor as well, mm-hmm. probably, maybe even has played Brutus, I don't know, but. It felt like he knew what the classical portrayal of Brutus was and was deliberately being like, but no, he was once a young, like, bit of a drunk guy and, like, Mm -hmm. didn't have any power and didn't think politics was for him. I felt like that only really made sense if you knew what he became later. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think think one thing I do like about this is they do contrast the the plebs and the patricians, the sort of the high class and the low class in the show. Yeah. And they don't, and Rome isn't all like white marble beauty, it's it's kind of grungy. Yeah, 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 that's good. Mm. I also want to talk about (laughs) Atia, who is I think my favourite character in the whole show, Polly Walker's character. I don't know. 
Uh, oh, Octavian's she, mother. Yeah, 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 I remember. She gets a much bigger role as the series progresses, essentially becoming Mark Antony's love interest. Ooh, spoiler. This is historic. It's kind of spoiler, but also not really. Also, if we're worried about spoilers, we've, we've spoiled so many things on this podcast so far. That's true. But then, obviously, she gets burned when Mark Antony is married to her daughter, and then when he goes off to Cliff. Cleopatra yeah and she basically she's playing all these people against each other there's a good dynamic between her and Lindsay Duncan's character Sevilla yeah as these two no I was interested mm. in that that made me want to watch more yeah as these two sort of very powerful women in Roman politics because of who they're related to but also wielding actual power Mm. to affect lives yeah no that made me want to watch more I'd like it's something I thought was much better than I anticipated but his Oh, I feel, I feel like, I, I sound stupid, but like, historical dramas tend to not be my, I always say like, something tends to not be my jam, like mm. sci-fi and stuff. I know, like genre TV. Yeah. I love a detective show and I love like a cookery show and reality shows. But in terms of genre TV, historical probably isn't my favourite. Mm, yeah. I think because I constantly feel like it's either too pretty to be true. Mm. Or it's deliberately trying to be grungy. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me always question, like, I know TV's just for entertainment a lot of the time, but, like, what were you trying to say about our political climate that you couldn't have said with a yeah, modern-day show? I don't know. I I think... No, I don't know. That's a silly thing to say. No, I think it's interesting that you sort of have the too pretty for its own good and the really trying to be grungy. I think Rome ties, ties the line between the two of them yeah, it is good at that. very well, because it does have Rome as the city... As quite dirty, but then you go into the sort of palatial villas of the rich, and they're very yeah. clean. They're very sort of serene, almost, as, and they're all walls, and it gives you a sense of what the city might have been like. Mm. And I, I enjoy that aspect of of the show as well as all the political scheming and the acting is great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, no, no, I see that. I'm really glad you didn't hate it. I thought you would no, hate this. No, 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 I enjoyed it. No, it was good. Yay. Right, moving on to my TV. Um, I don't know what you're going to think about this because you have a very specific angle. Um, but I chose Mozart in the Jungle. Mozart in the Jungle came out first in 2014 and it's an American comedy drama web TV series. It, it's based on Amazon. Um, and it was developed by Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman, Alex Timbers and Paul Weitz. And it's basically about lots of classical musicians living in New York and taking lots of drugs, but also playing beautiful music. Yeah. Yay! I really like it. It was much better than I thought it would be. I just found it very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily like any of the characters, but I found the central conductor very interesting. Mm-hmm. I love Bernadette Peters, who's in it. We all Yay. love Bernadette Peters. And yeah, this is a fun show. But I don't know what you'll think, being a classical <sighs> musician. See, I got that, but also there were little things that kept niggling me about it in that sense because because I am a classical musician and also I'm an oboist, so the main character is an oboist. This show is based on the memoir... Memoir? Memoir of... <laughs> let's start that again. This show is based on the memoir of Blair Tyndall, um, an oboist formerly based uh, at the New York Philharmonic, and Gail Garcia Bernal's character, the conductor, is based on the conductor Gustavo Dudamel. Who I don't know at all. Who's the current conductor at the LA Phil. Right, okay. Um, I am 
obviously coming at this from a point where I know a lot about this world, I know a lot about the surrounding ethos of the world, and I didn't hate this. I was yeah. really prepared to loathe this. I thought it was going to be completely wrong for me. I was just going to sit there and think, no, no, this is, this is wrong. Um, I did think that the main character, played by Lola Kirk, is really good. Um, I think that I like that the it's called Mozart in the Jungle, and the primary piece that features in episode one is Mozart's oboe concerto in C major. I like that 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 is the detail that they're putting into it because we talked about Pose earlier. Yeah. Um, the things we we're watching in the first episode of Pose. There's a moment where one of the characters looked into a dance studio and you hear a piece of music. Pose is set in 1987. The piece of music you hear is Hallelujah Junction by John Adams, written in 1996. So it's, it's really yeah, it's little. I love that you noticed that. Again, it's the things that I'm going to pick up on, and there were some things that I really, really liked about this. Um, the conductory speeches, and having, for example, the violinist who's a soloist in the opening concert is a professional violinist, that's Joshua Bell. Yeah. Um, having the sort of, the two gigs in one night, the running around, sort of trying to make ends meet, various teaching as a musician, I liked that aspect of it. Um, but then there were some things I thought, this is just a caricature of classical musicians, like, there's a house party where they walk in and they are playing Carmen as the music to the house party. And I'm just thinking, I have been to many classical musician parties and I have never, ever been to one where they have played classical music. It's based on a memoir. So I know, but also, uh, I don't know. It might be an American thing. It's definitely not a thing with the UK <laughs> ones that I've been to. And then, then they play a drinking game where... Oh my God, that's like my favourite bit. But... It's a really great scene, but also I'm just thinking... I would never want to be that drunk around my instrument because these things are so expensive. She gets drunk and then she's around her instrument. No, still. And, but I think it's a really cool drinking game where they're all like, they've got this basically spin the bottle but with musical extracts and the extracts do line up really well. One thing that really I liked was the audition at the end. So basically, the New York fellow holding auditions, she runs in, she sits down, she's behind a screen, because blind auditions are now more of a thing, yeah. which I think is a really good thing. As she's sort of running to the audition, you hear extracts from various pieces, one of them being uh, Rimsky-Korsakov-Scheherazade, which I really liked, and also the connotations of that piece about sort of a woman and kind of holding a man. Oh my god. It's, it's, it's very thematic, and I like that. But um, then... She does the audition, and you have the conductor there, and he's clearly interested in her. My issue with this scene is that I think I'm the only person who's going to think this, but the oboe mining is so bad. But oh, really? It's really not very good. Oh. Like, there are moments when she, the notes are changing, but her fingers aren't moving. The face position is all wrong. Have you seen the violinist YouTube videos? Yeah, yeah. two-step violin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's that, and I think a lot of classical musicians, they really get annoyed with bad miming. It's yeah. much more obvious when it's string players because you've got physically a thing moving, but I notice woodwind, woodwind bad miming a lot. Um, I think one of the best ones that really annoyed a lot of people I know is the recent John Lewis Christmas ad with Elton John, where Elton John plays a note at the very end of the piano and it's not the note that's played in the advert. Oh, really? No, it's uh. not, and that's annoyed a lot of people. Then there were lots of... Oh, there were lot, I'm very conflicted about the show. Because there were lots of things I liked, but there were lots of things that annoyed me. Apart from the bad oboe playing, what, what annoyed you? Because I just find it all very, like, fun, but also dramatic to, like, cared about the characters a bit. And... Yeah, I, I liked that a bit. I didn't like that 
when a scene was presented, I could tell immediately when it, where it was going because I think, oh, they're playing into the classical music thing. Yeah. So it was like when she gives the lesson at the opening of the episode, she, the kid that she's teaching, hasn't practiced. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so that was going. Then there's a Woodward penis joke within the first minute. And I but thought, why are these bad things? They're not bad things, it was just, I don't know, I think I kind of wanted it. What kid do you know who actually practices, apart from nerds? Like you. I mean, I, no, I didn't practice when I was a kid. That's why I'm not an oboist anymore, I'm a composer. But um, I think this, one thing I did like about this was it had the bitchiness I wanted from something like Slings and Arrows. Right, okay. Yeah. It had that kind of kind of cattiness but playfulness, but always that kind of like one-upping on each other that I don't think Slings and Arrows quite captured for me. Yeah, okay. I Wait, mean, so you haven't said anything negative, except that it made some kid not practice, which I think is realistic. Well, I think it, that, was, that was the thing, is it wasn't... It was both very realistic and very not at the same time. Like, for example, the Snap Audition, that would never have happened. But that's why it's great, because it's like both realistic so that you can buy into the world and yet you only have to spend your disbelief for like little bits. Yeah, I don't know. I think just the things kept building up and building up. And I think if I watched the show more, the things would build up and annoy me. But then again, I might watch the show and I might be like, this is what I'm saying when I'm conflicted with it. Mm. Is I feel like I'm, I know this world so well that I'm constantly fighting against my expectations, but also that I want to enjoy the show for what it is, which it is fun, it is catty, it does capture some of the aspects of classical music really well, while also not capturing others at all. Um, I think that some of the things, for example, that the conductor, when the new conductor comes in with the, with the old one, is handing over the baton, and the new one says a load of things that were wrong with the concert, the things that he mentioned, some of them you thought, okay, that's him showing that he's a genius, but some of them would have been so perceptible to the audience yeah. if they knew anything about classical music and the piece yeah. that they were playing. Yeah. Because what would have happened was he said that one of the things, people came in a bar late, and I said, well, actually, that would have mucked up the harmony there. And it, yeah. it was both well-researched and not at the same time. And, yeah, I don't yeah. know. See, this is what I mean, is that I'm really conflicted about this film. Huh. Film, TV, TV. Okay, yeah. interesting. It's... I'm kind of glad you didn't hate it, like you with me in Rome. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's a result for me. Happy days. So now we are off to the movies. Yay! <laughs> like Annie. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. You'll go first. Yeah, it's time for my film, and I wanted Alice to watch. I think one of my favourite comedies ever. Whoa. This is this is I think a really really funny film, and I wanted you to watch The Birdcage. Uh, so The Birdcage is directed by Mike Nichols from 1996, starring Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, Christine Baranski, Gene Hackman and Diane Wiest. Um, it is the American remake of La Cage aux Faux, the French film. Um, also there's the musical La Cage aux Faux, it's the same story. Um, and it follows a gay couple entertaining the conservative parents of their son's fiancé. And it's fabulous and really quite quotable and it's great. Yeah, I hadn't like... I didn't realise what this is about before. I oh, read okay. up bio, so it really surprised me. Like it kept being like, oh, it's about this. I thought like it was a bit like Moulin Rouge for no reason. I think because I think because all the advertising of it has the club. Yeah, it's like an occasion for yeah. like, oh wow, sexy French. Oh. It wasn't like that at all. No. <laughs> 
It was really good fun though. I enjoyed it. It's 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 such a there's so many lines in this film. Yeah. That are just great. And like we, we alluded to in the opening, the bit where Robin Williams is like, Twyla, Twyla, first, first we keep it on sight. <laughs> it's ah uh, when he's trying to get um the people of the club to dance and it's it's so oh it's so good. Yeah, I really enjoy the only thing that really irritated me is that I felt like a lot of comedy was derived from people just being idiots. Like as in they'd be like, It's going so badly and it was like it wouldn't be going badly if you just act like normal people. I think you could say that there were a lot about a lot of comedies. I know, but it was like, there was something about it that just slightly irritated me. Okay, I, I never got that from... I got that everyone but um, Armand Robin Williams' character was an idiot. Oh, I thought Armand was an idiot. He was a big idiot than Nathan Lane. Albert. Albert slash Starina. Albert's fucking fantastic and the best thing about uh, this movie. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. Even with a movie with Christine Baranski in it. She's amazing. Oh my god, her at the end, the final scene, I was like, oh, how do you look that good? That she's great. And then also Hank Azaria in this. As He's Angel's amazing. Masters. What else have I seen him in? Well, you've probably heard him in The Simpsons. Yeah, but I, I know I knew his name, but I've seen him in yeah. other stuff and I'm just not sure what. Yeah. It's so different to what I expected. Yeah, he's been in, so, he's been in quite a lot of stuff, but this, this film essentially, um, it's kind of the gay couple trying to think, okay, are we going to try and sort of have Nathan Lane's character as sort of the fun gay uncle? Because basically Nathan Lane's character is a very flamboyant. Yes. Also a drag queen um, called Starina. Yeah. <laughs> and you have um, Armand Robin Williams' character who's much more of a kind of straight man. Yeah. Although um, well, still quite camp. Still quite camp, but not in, not in the same way as Nathan Lane's character. Yeah. Essentially their son Val comes home that he's getting married and his fiance's parents are one of them is a Republican senator. Yeah, not just a Republican senator, but like a moral conservative. <laughs> yeah. And it has a coalition for moral order. Yeah, oh my god. One thing I think I really like about this film is that it's so touching and so loving about a gay relationship. Yes. Because there's the scene where you get Armand and Albert on the bench and sort of saying, they're talking about where they're going to be buried and Armand, and Armand's like, I have this sort of beautiful view of the hill but sod that, I'm going to get rid of that so I can be with you. Aww. And even that, when sort of before that scene, it's underpinned by a joke with um, uh, essentially Albert's leaving with a toothbrush and nothing much else to go to the cemetery and Armand goes, Ah, leaving the cemetery with a toothbrush. How Egyptian. <laughs> As if he's not Egyptian. And has, there's just so many lines in this film that are so funny. And then it all culminates with the dinner at the end. Yeah, which is your classic, like, farcical dinner where everything goes wrong. Yeah, and where Albert's and... in drag. Yeah. Um, Armand. Multiple people playing the same person come at the same time. Yeah. And then, but then, essentially, the press is... Um, following the senator because um, one of the co-founders of his coalition has been found dead in bed of an underage African-American prostitute. As you are. As you are. And they have to try and sneak him out through the club. Yes. So you get this great scene of Gene Hackman in full drag. Yeah, that is fantastic. Actually. Trying to go through this gay club. And it it's so funny. The only, the only other thing is that they don't like ever, as in vaguely they critique the politics. And implicitly, obviously, it critiques the politics of the 
Republican. I suppose it's good in a way that, like, it's not making him out to be a demon. He's, like, a family man who has... But, like, equally, he has horrible views. Mm. And then but, at the end, it's like, oh, well, it's all fine. But I think, I think because, because he's had his views so aggressively challenged, I think that's the thing, yeah. is that he... Gene Hackman's character has had his views fully, kind of, throat thrust into his face. Yeah, but there's no indication that he'll change his mind. Mm. I think I think there is a slight indication of change that will change his mind because he goes because he goes along with it and that he's there at the wedding with them. Yeah. But I think the one who's in a way even worse than Gene Hackman's character is Val, the son, who is like, yeah. no, I can't show my dad's. Yeah, and then at the end, it's like a big moment where he's like, "This is my father, I'm my mother." It's like, I'm but you've been a dick to him all the way through the film. Yeah, yeah. But they. In a way, they're minor characters in comparison to Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, yeah. who are the heart and soul of this film. Yeah. And without without them, it doesn't work. And because of them, it's brilliant. Yeah, Nathan Lane's great. And it, oh, it's just there's just so many moments which is like think about those dolphins. It's so you just think about in the back of your head so many quotes, <laughs> and. Christine Baranski's there and you think she's going to be like the embittered sort of mother of of Armand's child and no, she's no, fabulous. she's fabulous. Kind of similar to Priscilla in a way, I think. Yes. Yeah, a lot of like, you expect it to go one way and mm. then it's actually just very wholesome and cute. Yeah, and the the daughter, the fiancé, she's, she's great. Fun. I like Barbara. Mm. And Hagazero's character, Agador Spartacus, is... Might be the best thing in it, actually. Ridiculous. Don't take it back about Nathan Lane. I think I think it, I go back and forth between better. Me up. <laughs> it's just it's you just. You can't walk in shoes. Like, what is the man doing? <laughs> just thinking about it, like I can't walk in shoes. I fall over them. That was like genuinely funny. Yeah, and and also when will you let me perform to Armand? And Armand goes, when you have talent. Brutal. As it's, it's just joyous. This film, I yeah. think. Oh no, I think you went too far with joyous, but I did really enjoy it. Oh no, I think I think it's it's a really it's a really kind of it is a film that just you watch it and you finish it and you've just got a massive smile on your but face. But I think it's a classic like older film where there are a lot of like talky scenes. It's almost like you're in the theatre. Hmm. You could you could They're tell like as in for a modern contemporary watcher, I felt like I'd just been watching too much stuff that was like, here, here, new scene, new scene, new scene, new scene, yay, mm. look at my camera technique. But, but I, I wasn't used yeah. to just being like Okay. Totally. I think I like the pace of this though. Yeah, no, I do, but it was it took a bit of adjusting mm. too. But it did it did kind of have the moments where it just let itself sit in the scene, and I think especially the scene on the bench where they yeah. you get Armand and Albert talking is just is so touching and so beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it though. I did. Yeah. Moving on to my película. Ooh. Ooh, hey Spanish. Yeah. Um, which is let's whip out Spanish again. Mujeres al borde del ataque de nervios, or in English, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. So I chose this film because I did it for A level in Spanish. Um, it is from 1988, directed by Pedro Almodovar, um, and it's basically about a lot of women who, a lot of whom seem to be in love with the same guy, and all of them just running around Spain and being like, ah, everything's crazy. 
I don't really know how to describe it other than that. That's basically what happens, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's... It's a very complex plot line. There are lots of different women and lots of different men involved, including a young and very good-looking Antonio Banderas. Yes. Which is, like, worth the film alone. And it's important because it was around, like, soon after Franco was defeated and was, like, an explosion of colour and everything that was banned mm. before. So, yes. Did yeah. you like it? Um... I think this is definitely the category of I appreciated it more than I liked it. Yeah. Like, I think this is a very good bit of filmmaking. It's a very good film. I, it, I'm not going to ever watch it again. Yeah. I've had to watch it like 10 times, I would say. So. Mm. At times, it's a bit of an incoherent <coughs> You're just thinking, oh, oh, hang on, then she's here, and then she's here, but then she knows this person, wait, what, who is this person, where have they appeared from, oh, she's asleep now, wait, what, ah. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting to talk about colour, because the colour red appears so much yeah. in this film. There's a lot of symbolic filmmaking, like, he's really thought about, like, there's a jar of marbles at one point in the car, mm. her apartment, and I can't remember if it gets tipped over or it just moves, but, like, it's supposed to symbolise like she's literally lost her marbles yeah. and all of that kind of thing. A lot of like, if you look mm. into the background of it, it's got a lot of symbolic meaning. Yeah, and and also kind of with the red thing, it's sort of like danger yeah. alert. Like the phone that's bright red is kind of like a sort of danger phone. And phones appear constantly and yet no one can get hold of each other. So it's like the paradox of modern communication where it's mm. like everyone, you can access anyone, but... You can't access anyone. Yeah. Also, uh, I mentioned this piece when we talked about Mozart in the Jungle, but there's another iteration of Rupert's Korsakoff Scheherazade. Hey! And, but you, this time you hear um, one of the Scheherazade solos right. based about her, and I think it's really interesting placing it in this film because it doesn't really... The story of Scheherazade doesn't really fit with any of the women in this film. That's I, all, the story of the kind of... Oh, the Arabian Nights. Yeah. And I... I found it, it wasn't off-putting, but I thought, this is trying to tell me something, but I'm not conne- I'm not connecting the dots. She lures him in by telling him sto- stories. True, I right? suppose. And this is all about a man who lures people in through mm. his voice alone. Like, you barely ever see the actual man they're mm. talking about. You just hear, hear his voice, and it's, like, so sexy that everyone falls in love with it. And I think it does play into the trope of the hysterical man crazy woman. Because but I think so much of it's yeah. funny. In that, like, it's like, this is ludicrous. It's mm. making it fun yeah. of that stereotype, almost, rather than being, like, women. Because, like, I don't know any women like the women. No, in no, 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 no. Not in a negative, like, oh, he's made it with fake women, more in a, like, yeah. because this is so ridiculous. Because they're just caricatures, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it doesn't help that Pepper, the main character, Pepper. is a bad person. Yeah, she is. She's just awful to everyone in this film. The taxi driver is the best bit. The ta- I would agree, the taxi driver with the Mambo taxi. I forgot about him, he's so great. Mambo taxi. And yeah, this film is weird and I'm just thinking, why is this bizarre montage of women at the front and then realise, oh, this is what's happening. Yeah. And, it, uh, and then you get um, sort of, when she's dubbing a film, she's dubbing a film with Joan Crawford in it. And then that sort of has other connotations. There's lots of things you, you notice and you're going to miss 20 of them the first time you watch the film. Yeah. Weirdly, I don't think I'm going to watch it again. Uh, like, I didn't notice the marbles at all. Yeah, I only noticed that because I literally had to say this. Like, this is my coursework. Yeah. 
it, uh, I, I, I just don't know what to say about something. It's fun though, right? It's worth watching. Yeah, I agree it's worth watching. I, again, wouldn't say I liked it. Fair, okay. Just because I think it's... I like it, the bit at the... I don't think I like it either, but like, I like the bit at the end where this woman is like, I'm a virgin, and then at the end she has a dream about sex, and they're all like, oh, that means you've lost your virginity. And they oh, take yeah. it really seriously, and you're like... No, because she's fully that's having like, a wet dream at some point in the film. Yeah, oh my god, massively. And that's like what it ends on. I know. You're like, okay, is that a message from the film? Yeah, because you finally find out what Pippa's trying to be tell yeah. uh, Ivan all the way through the film. Yeah. And then it ends about with her talking about her big... And I'm like, what is... This film is... But Almodovar's films are, like, mental. Oh, they are. I've seen a couple of others. Um... I can't remember the the one on the plane. Oh, that's so weird. Uh, I'm so excited. I've seen, um, which is equally bizarre. Um, I'd actually say his serious films are lots more uh, easy to understand than his comedies. Yeah, which are mystifying. It's just such a an odd film, yeah. and it you kind of sometimes really struggle to follow it. Yeah. I'm glad I watched it because then I I think it puts Amadova's cinema more in perspective. Yeah. I think I would recommend people at least try it, but if someone turned around to me and said I hated this, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's basically how I feel about it as well. Yeah. Oh, so much agreement this episode. I know. Day. No arguing. Who knows? Normal service might be resumed next week. <laughs> so scores on the doors. No, 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 no. Okay. So Rome. I gave Rome a 9, I think Rome's really great, but again, it's my sort of, I like historical dramas. I give it an 8. Give it an 8. Yeah. Ooh, that's I like it more than Godless. That's higher than I thought you were going to give it, but I'll I'll take that. Um, I gave Mozart in the Jungle an 8, because I really enjoy it, and I just think it's fun, and I would watch it. I'd watch more of it. I'm going to give it 6, just because, I don't know, I keep flipping back and forth about it. I might watch another episode, see how I feel, but based on this first episode alone, it's six. Um, the Birdcage, I give an 8.5, just because I think it's so funny and so much fun. Uh, I give it a 6.5. That low. It's not, that's not that low. I know, but I just, I don't know, I think... I enjoyed it. I, yeah. Maybe I, it's just the time I watched it, I was in maybe. Like a very hazy mood. I enjoy it, I don't know, I think I would have to watch it like at a sleepover with lots mm. of other people who are like quoting along maybe and then I give it a higher score. Yeah. But to watch it on my own, it's like less fun maybe. Yeah. Um, Women on the Verge when I was down, I only gave it a five, five just chose it because I thought it was fun, like a good thing to watch mm. and talk about. I'm glad you've watched it, I have given it 5.5, 5, yeah. so slightly higher but a similar-ish score basically. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I think with the bookcase for me, I thought because you like rom-coms so much, you'd like this, you'd give it Yeah, a, like, no, I do like, yeah. yeah. But then it gets in question, is it a rom-com or is it just a comedy? Family drama comedy, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's romantic, but it's not really a rom-com. No, the romance, so. similar to Miss Congeniality, the romance isn't the central theme. Yeah, it's important, but it's not central. Yeah. And then as we go to leaderboard, leaderboard, yeah. um, still West Wing is number one for TV. Followed by Line of Duty, followed now by Rome. Crazy stuff. Rome is now our number three TV. And then film is Ladybird at one, followed by Let the Right One at two. 
and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, as our third film. We haven't chosen good films, though. I, Especially I, you just shat on mine. I haven't. Excuse my language. I haven't. You've shat on some of mine, though. One. Well, I think, I think some of them you've given quite low scores to. Mm. But I think we, we've, we've sort of given... If it's sort of in the middle, that's where our scores divide the most, I think. Yeah. Because there's quite a lot around the sort of 14 to 15, 13 yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. range. But I think we've got to, got to move on to next week. No, 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 we've got to do the bottom of the leaderboard. Oh, the bottom is still... Still, The Tenure Planet the, as our lowest film, followed by Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, followed by 27 Dresses. But all of those Outrageous. are lower than our lowest TV, yeah. which is still sadly The Last Kingdom, followed by Gilmore Girls, followed by Slings and Arrows. Yeah. Yeah, one of the verge of a nervous breakdown is low on yeah. the list because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we both appreciate it more than we like it. Yeah, I agree. But moving on to next week, I next think. Next week. Next week. <laughs> what am I watching? So for your TV, um, you've seen Misfits, haven't you? Yes, love Misfits. Okay, I love Misfits as well. I want you to watch another series by Howard Oakman, the man who created Misfits, which oh. is called Crazy Head. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, it was only for it only ran for one series. But it kind of has a similar vibe to Misfits, um, and I'm interested to see what you think of it. Huh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, you're going to watch You, which is like the, one of the latest Netflix big series, and it's got Penn Medley in it, and it's about a creepy guy who stalks a girl, but it's really addictive, I think. Exciting times. Yeah. For my film next week, I think you enjoyed historical drama, let's keep the streak going. Okay. I want you to watch Belle. I've heard a lot about Belle. I, it's really good. I think you'll like it. It's really interesting. Um, and it's a film by Amara Sante. It stars Gugu and Butter Raw. Love that. Great costumes. Love costumes. Love costumes. And it's a really interesting story about sort of the end of the slave trade in Britain. Cool. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, uh, mine is going to be more modern. It's like this very cute, quite weird film. Where they, I'm not going to give anything away, actually. We'll talk about it next week. But it's called The 100 Foot Journey. I've also heard about this. And it stars Helen Mirren, and we it's about a posh French lady who moves across the road from an Indian family. Yay! Yay! So thank you all for listening. Thank you. You can find us on social media. Yeah, which on Twitter is at Don't Make Me Watch. And on Instagram is at Please Don't Make Me Watch. And subscribe, and you can find out when the next episode comes out. Yes, which will probably be on a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, Yay. probably on a Wednesday. And we will see you next week. Bye! Bye!